hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Chase Hampton, also known as Generation Lossless. Uh, this is just like a funny thing. I'm just going to point it out. I'm just going to start saying my name the way it's supposed to be said. Instead of saying Santiago Ramones, I'm going to start saying Santiago Ramones. Uh, and just like... Everyone's going to have to deal with that. But since I make it a point to say the quiet part out loud all the time, I'm, I'm saying Pointing that it out. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, I have a friend. He's actually Mary's friend. I think I met him before I met Mary though. Um, and his name is Jaime Fuentes yeah. and like he's from Moore and all his friends from Moore, like all the white kids call him Jamie. And when I first started hanging around them, they were saying Jamie, I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> talking about Jaime? What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been, I work on uh, several podcasts and like it be like someone mentioned it as an intentional thing. And I'm like, yeah, I should probably, I should probably start doing that. Anyways. Uh, hi, Generation Lossless. Uh, let's start with who are you? What do you do? But like the who are you as in like, who are you? I don't know what you mean by that. Who is Chase Hampton? Okay. Um, Chase Hampton is a... <laughs> he's a, neuro, a neurodivergent uh, genius who was locked up in a basement in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. And now he's come to um, educate everyone. No. Um I grew up in Enid for those who are listening and, and don't know this. And Enid is a, um, it's like the twin peaks of the Midwest. Like, uh, <laughs> just every story I tell to people, they're kind of just like blown away. They don't believe that any of that could happen. It's cause it's an hour and a half each direction from like any civilization. It's really in the middle of nowhere, which doesn't sound like a long ways, but it is for what it is. Cause it's so small. Uh, so I grew up with, um, just really into to rock music. My dad was into music, pushed it on me since I was born. And I thought I was going to be like the best drummer on earth and go to college and do God knows what, listen to prog rock and jazz all the time. And then um, once I got to college, I listened to one too many electronic albums and accidentally realized that uh, I've been liking weird ambient stuff since I played Ocarina of Time on the <laughs> toilet as a kid. And, um, that's kind of how I got to where I am now is just finding things like, uh, boards of Canada and Faust, like my freshman year of college. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're like, so one, you've been here before, but, uh, because you have an album coming up, it is appropriate to reframe the artist as generation lossless, especially because, uh, it's been such a long time since that last one. So, uh, what is Generation Lossless? It's funny. I have like all these like videos and articles written, but when you ask me off the top of my head, it's difficult. <laughs> um, so I, I'm trying to try to quote a rant I had that got turned into a video we made to promote the new album. But like generation loss is like this concept when you copy things uh, enough times, it like loses fidelity each time. Um, usually it's like a physical copy. So you do like a picture on a, on a um, 
God, what are those called? Do they even have those anymore? Like a printer with the scan thing yeah. on top? Uh, you, you put the, the printer, the photo in over and over again, you're going to get like a degraded image each time. You copy a cassette or a VHS tape, it's going to be a degraded sound and image each copy you make. So that's generation loss. Um, and so the idea behind the artist's name, generation lossless, it, it comes from a few things. It comes from um, generation loss, obviously. Um, an HBO show called Generation Kill, which is a, uh, it's about the Iraq war, I think. I could be wrong. If it's about Afghanistan, I'll be very embarrassed. I haven't watched it in a long time. Uh, but, you know, that kind of is like the backdrop to our childhood. Um, it's like our Vietnam War. Like our, like what the Vietnam War was to our parents, you know, the, the Middle Eastern conflicts are to us. They've always been there lurking in the background in our culture and in, in, in everything. Um, and then lossless audio, um, which for anyone listening who doesn't know, lossless audio is like the highest f digital fidelity quality you can get. Um, there's no like packet lossing, something, something, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it's as high quality as you can get. And so um, it is to say generation lossless, um, I don't lose out on the things that inspire me or that are a part of like me culturally, uh, cause I am biracial. I'm half African-American, I'm half white. And, um, I've always felt, um, like I don't belong with both groups, um, because I'm too white for black people and I'm too black for white people. And that's okay. Um, that's not always true, but it is true a lot of the times because I'm just, I'm, I'm me and I'm a, I'm, not like a one-off unique person, but I think being biracial is a unique identity to just being a straight minority in one way or another. So I think anyone who's biracial in any way could relate to that. Um, but despite that, um, the influences from both sides aren't lost on me. So generation lossless is both not losing anything and, and being like of a certain generation, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then how would you describe that? as an artist, as a music experience, whatever you want to describe that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of my music, especially this upcoming album, like my first album is like, it's solid. It was me proving to myself I could record an album. It was like fulfilling like a childhood dream. Like, Oh, I made an album. And, um, I don't know if that album is really me flexing my, uh, muscles and, and wearing my influences on my sleeve and showing like what the project is about more so is just like a proof of concept. Whereas this upcoming album, Advertising Films, is totally driven by uh, inspiration from lost mediums, lost times, um, lost concepts, uh, and how like their impressions aren't lost on me. Specifically with this album, I'll just get into it briefly. Um, before we go into it later, uh, it's inspired by and revolves around Japanese commercial compilations on YouTube. And I've been into them for a few years and I had a spark um, a couple of years ago where I was like, oh, that's where I'm going to take this. Um, but it, it revolves around these Japanese commercial compilations and how they were recorded to VHS, copied probably a couple of times uploaded to the internet, to YouTube, to Nika Nika downloaded, so-and-so. By the time it gets to me, it's lost so much quality through generation loss um, that it's like an entirely different 
uh, artistic artifact from what was originally intended by the directors and the actors and the composers. And so I'm experiencing it in a different light while also being able to see their original intent. And so like those two things aren't lost on me. And that's what the project's about. It revolves around the idea of these commercials being lost to time and then reinterpreted 40 years later. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we can just get into it. Yeah. Uh, and, and we talked about it a little bit and how the, even just the concept of advertising films, uh, is you can probably find this thread on discord or something. I can't remember if it was in the bit depth or you and I, but, uh, um, <laughs> uh, where, yeah, like advertising films almost feels like an oxymoron because it's like advertising is so like, mm-hmm. you know, gross and dirty. banal and yeah. like, oh, you're doing this for money. But then like turning that advertisement into, into a film, art. turning it yes. into art. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah, go on on that. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. The The name comes from a documentary it's um, a Ricci Sakamoto 1986 or four. I can't remember. It's a documentary called Tokyo Melody. Uh, and it's basically a French new wave film, but a music documentary. And this like French couple follows around Ricci's for like a couple weeks while he's working on his um, album Ongaku Zukan, which means music encyclopedia. And, um, there's a scene where he's working in the studio, he's smoking, and he's kind of just talking offhand, and he says, I'm probably working on 30 tracks for this album, and I'll use maybe 12, and I'll throw the rest away or uh, use them on advertising films. Now, he does not say advertising films. He says CM, which is like just like um, the way Japanese borrow words from English is, is pretty cool and interesting um because it just stands for commercial they'll use all these offhands like op opening ed ending cm commercial but he like you can hear him say cm but because this is a french documentary translating japanese to english and they speak french they translated it as advertising films it like came out accidentally artistic and so like once i watched that and i read that like my brain lit up and i was like that's where i got to take this is I reach Sakamoto is my biggest hero. Uh, he's like my biggest driving inspiration. And, um, so taking the, the music that he inspires me with and these like commercials that I'm like, I've been in love with for a few years and I had already like made like a weird, like, um, nasty, dark ambient electronic thing with a electron octatrack using a, um, a bunch of commercials that I edited together with Windows Movie Maker. Um, I put on my YouTube. It was called 4AM. And um, I was like, okay, I'll just take this concept to like the next level where it's like, instead of it being kind of like generative, weird stuff, it's like really thought out music and it revolves around these commercials and I'll call it advertising films because like who's ever used that word before <laughs> to describe a commercial? And it was just like, I don't know, it, all the, the synapse fired the right way. Yeah. And then there's also a bit of the whole like putting it out as an artist in the modern era in that we are selling a product. We ourselves are a product as artists. And so like making an album is also a product, but it's like advertising films is a commercial for itself. Yes. (laughs) No, exactly. And um, 
I plan to do a couple more music videos and I don't know if I'll get around to it. Like I have a few people who like say they'll work on it with me, but nothing is yet to come to fruition in that regard. Um, but we did make a really cool trailer, like a movie trailer quote for the album. Um, and you're right. It's, it's, it's pretty meta. Like we have to be our own, um, writer, producer, marketer, management, agent like all that like you have to promote it yourself it's a game if you don't get in line eight months in advance and you don't know somebody you're not going to get into the club uh even something as simple as like getting onto Bandcamp daily or like the here's what's new and notable in this genre like unless you're like paying penance to the month in advance like they're never going to acknowledge you and it's hard to even advertise yourself to your friends to you know, Discord servers, Reddit pages, Facebook pages you may be a member of. Um, you kind of just have to shed your humility and throw it out into the ether and hope to God that someone, just one person listens, one person gives it a chance. And it's it's a bit meta in that way, but there's no other way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go back, back, uh, I guess, to... Enid and all of the like things that shaped you. I don't know if you have you always been this contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I've always been a little uh, contrarian's a good word. I'm, I'm very opinionated, like that is my strongest quality that anyone who knows me personally would say is I'm very opinionated. Um, my mom says I've always marched to the beat of my own drum. I've never followed the crowd, but like not in a like, oh, you're a gifted high schooler way. Like a, like you really just won't do anything normal way. Uh, my brother's always called me old man chase. Cause I've always just acted like weird and old my whole life. Um, yeah, man, there's not a lot to do in Enid. Okay. Uh, and when you're like half black growing up in Enid, and um, a lot of places in America, like black people are going to be like your biggest minority. And I don't think that's the case in Enid. It may be that statistically, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Um, there's way more Hispanic people. Um, we have the Marshallese, they're Pacific Islanders. We have um, a pretty big Korean population. Um, I just don't remember there being that many black kids. And so... Uh, not that if they were there, it would have changed much just because, uh, like I said, two white for black people, two black for white people. Um, but I've always had weird friends of, of every creed and, and it's a weird place. And so you grew up with a bunch of weirdos who just like reading about CIA conspiracies and, and weird, uh, geopolitical warfare stuff. And so like we made our fun from LARPing as these weird agencies, within Enid just like doing weird things operating weird ways and um eventually uh I, I I start music when I'm 12 uh my brother asks me to try out to play the drums because he says because I wanted to play saxophone and I tried guitar before that my hands were too small um, but he's like you know what you've been drumming your whole life like ever since you were a baby just like drumming along things you just try it out try it out so I do end up loving it get to high school um really into Prague, really into jazz start finding things like rate your music uh and 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 branching my um palette 
branching out uh, different uh, things that I could find to listen to. Uh, even today, like I just try to listen to new things every day rather than stick on the old. Um, I have ADHD, so I'll trail, I'll trail off a lot. Uh, it, it makes it great for me because I don't have to ask you a lot of questions because right. it just goes. No, the it's easy to, the, it's good when I ramble, but then I'll be like, what was I talking about? And I just hit that wall. What was I talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, just being a contrarian. But yeah, I mean, you're already on the right path with just like, obscure music taste <laughs> yeah there's just like there's nothing to do so you had to like find things to do you had to find your own culture to make an enid um and i had always loved anime like any other weirdo from that time uh dragon ball gundam wing when i was a really little kid i've been playing video games i have pictures of me like potty training and holding a nintendo 64 controller and like be like playing games for real so like the the influence of Japanese culture because there's no culture in Enid that's probably why it has such a hold on me why I'm so fascinated and, and in love with their culture is just because we didn't have a culture growing up in Enid um, so yeah being contrarian is almost like a trauma response to a, <laughs> to the nothingness of uh, rural Oklahoma yeah uh, I've had the privilege of meeting your brother, uh, and, uh, having an older sibling can have such a like radical effect on like the little brother. So I, I have two older brothers and I know what that is to like have this person that you like admire and like glorify. Um, so yeah, I guess tell me about how your brother shaped your music taste, I guess, in this context, but also just like who you are. Yeah. So, uh, I have a rocky familial background. Um, my parents both have kids from their first marriages. Um, I have an older brother and older sister. My older brother and I are best friends. I don't really talk to my sister. Um, she's kind of a loner and, my brother was the one who was around growing up because um, she's my mom's son or he's my mom's son. And um, he was in the house until gosh, he was 16. He's 12 years older than me. Mm -hmm. So I only had him for four years, like full time. He moved to be with his dad in New England, but I would see him like, you know, every year, every couple of years, him coming back to town. It'd always be really exciting, but we'd always keep in touch. He'd always call me. Uh, by the time social media came around, he'd text me, he'd message me, even though now today he prefers to call and I prefer to text just because different generations, you know, right. there's a pretty big age gap between us. And um, he's always pushed me to, once he found out I liked music, pushed me to do the right thing by doing drums. Uh, I mean, my mom pushed me to do drum line, to do front ensemble and marching band, just always pushing me. My brother would show me uh, awesome things like, MF Doom, uh, Radiohead, like he's responsible for all like the like, what would be considered basics now, like when we were like 15 years younger, we're like, when it was like, man, 15 years ago, that was 2007. So yeah, like <laughs> nobody was really on these artists at the time, unless like, at least our age, right? Yeah, at least our age. And it was like, uh, our older siblings who were like in their like early twenties, mid twenties, listening to that kind of stuff yeah. um 
Yeah. He showed me all the, the what would be considered basic now, the starter pack stuff was like, that was it at the time. Uh, and that's how he shaped me musically. And, and him and my mom have always just encouraged me to, to, to keep going and, and pushing myself as an artist. Uh, they've been very supportive my whole life on being an artist, not trying to get me to do anything else. And so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, and then, yeah, the actually, I I will do a different question before getting to that question. Uh, what is your relationship to drums now? My relationship to drums now. Um, so this is a bit of a an inside joke between you and me um, <laughs> because I, I went to school for drums. Like I went to college to play the drums. Now, the reason that is... I actually always wanted to be a producer and I'm sure I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but, uh, I think like the moment music changed in my life was when Kanye released power. I hate to invoke Kanye, uh, as an inspiration, but when we he are released, victims of yeah. Kanye fandom, yeah, years ago, this is years ago, guys, <laughs> this is 12 years ago. He released power, he released my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. And then I, through that found King Crimson through the sample and mm. King Crimson blew my mind, totally changed me. I'm like, okay, um, I, this is what I love. I love drumming the stuff like this, love drumming the death grips, uh, love drumming the John Coltrane. And so I get to call, but I always wanted to be a producer cause I love the, I love hip hop. Hip hop has always been there. Um, I have a funny story when I graduated grade school my parents got me some really crappy like Kmart studio monitors and I hooked them up to my computer and I had them like way above my desk and uh, I was blasting straight out of Compton and my mom swings the door open. And she goes, what are you listening to? What are they saying? You are not allowed to listen to that stuff. And that's how I learned to use headphones. Um, <laughs> so hip hop's always been there. I've always wanted to make beats produce music i just didn't know anything about it because i was in enid like enid has like fifty thousand people it's not very big that sound like it's a it's a small city big town yeah. it's not like i grew up in like a farm but it's not a place of access to different things so i had no idea how to do anything like production uh using youtube for learning things like wasn't really a thing that made sense to me yet. I'm sure it was a thing already, but it wasn't something I thought about. But also not at like the level not of quality. Not the level it is now. Yeah. Because yeah, you're talking 2011, 2012 when yeah. I got into high school. When I first started wanting to do this. Yeah, I didn't really understand any of it at the time and I didn't know how to understand it. And so I, I get to go to college. Somebody tells me about ACM. I really want to go to music school. And I want to try out for production and I read the requirements and you have to like drop things you've made. And I'm like, I haven't made anything. I don't know how to make anything. Yeah. That's why I want to go to school. Yeah. Well, shit. Uh, I don't know how. So I'm going to have to use the talents I already have and go to school for drumming. And I go there, play for a couple of years. Uh, by the time I get to that third year, I'm quite disenfranchised on um, <laughs> playing in the gig band setting, the wedding band setting. Oh, yeah. Especially because like I love ACM. I don't think there's anything wrong with like the faculty or how it's set up and it's only gotten better, but man, so many people that go there are so unserious and that's what drained me is having to be in a band with all these people who are unserious. And so by the time I get to that third year, uh, there's like one person I trust 
his name's Bob Belknap. He's also from me. And one person I would want to be in a band with at this point. And he's like, uh, he's older than me. He lives in Stillwater or wherever he lived at the time. And he's like, you should just learn how to do everything yourself. Not in like a mean way, but he's like a, you have all this potential, stop relying on other people and just learn how to do it yourself. And so I take the next two years to learn how to write music, literally starting from like taking online notation software and writing one note in a four beat measure at a time, like just trying to figure it out. And uh, I use NoteFlight. But man, I'm glad I did that. I've come a really long way when I think about like, I didn't know how to write music. I was a drummer. I didn't under even understand melodic instrumentation. I played a little bit of like um, vibraphone marimba yeah. in high school, but like, school. yeah, but I didn't get it. And so I've learned all of that from the ground up uh, and got just really engrossed and focused in that. And this whole time I'm like busting my ass to try to learn how to, um, do things for myself to learn how to uh write record produce all for myself and uh dustin he works at ableton now but he taught the class for ableton live at uh, the acm he lets me into this class without me having the real prerequisites because i wasn't a production major take that i'm running with it I'm running with all of this and the whole time and I don't blame anyone for it the whole time. Now everyone's starting to realize that like, I'm pretty okay at drums. So all these, and, and everyone needs a drummer. So I have all these people ask me to play the drums, but I'm like, wait, but I'm, can't, can anyone see now I'm doing this? Yeah. And, uh, I wasn't very good at like writing my own music yet, but I think I was just a little selfish and frustrated. And so I just like told everyone, like, I'm not, I'm not playing drums. I'm like, I'm focusing on, yeah how to become my own artist and uh it paid off it did it absolutely paid off and i can still kind of drum i finally got an electric kit again and i'm like nowhere near as sharp as i used to be but like the muscle memory is still there mm -hmm. and like the feel is still there and i got it because i thought i'd be playing a lot more drums on this album but not all of it most of it did not make it to the album. It's very, it's very textural, but that's okay. It'll, it'll always be there for any work I do for myself or someone else in the future. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I remember I had a conversation with you where I was like, I don't see myself as a drummer anymore. Mm. And you were like, okay, if you're not, if you don't think you're a drummer anymore, then prove it. And you were like, prove it by getting that good at what you want to be good at. Mm. And I would say I have. Yeah. Uh, it took me a few years after you said that, but I did it. Yeah. And so, yeah, drumming is just something I do. It's like Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop started as a drummer. So many people started as drummers and then they became something bigger. And that's what I think I've done. Uh, so I love drumming and I would probably drum for some people still uh, now that I'm done with my album and I'm not working on something else. But like when I was like locked in on this one, I like I would everybody's asking me to do stuff. I wasn't even answering people when they were asking me. I was like, I'm locked in right now. Like I'm working on this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, at this point, I don't remember issuing you that challenge, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I, I tend to remember, even if it was like a offhanded thought from you, I tend to like, remember the like moments that like push me. You know what I mean? That was one of them. You were like, prove it, prove yourself. Yeah. And I did. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Yeah. Um, well, where else should I go? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I guess part of like being a contrarian musician in nowadays, like 
it is interesting that we're we're about the same age and still we're like in different parts of the spectrum of electronic music right so i mean like i do everything out out of the box like plugins synths and stuff like i'm building all my stuff from scratch because i can and outboard gear is expensive uh you went the opposite route and it's just like how can I get all of these different sounds? Yeah, whatever like, I can physically get my hands on yeah. to manipulate. So I guess tell me about your your journey through analog synthesis and effects and all of that. So uh this is this is good. I remember I feel like it was like sophomore year. By the time I was a sophomore in college, I was like, okay. I can't stop listening to boards of Canada. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. And I still haven't stopped. And we're six years later. Um, I really want a synth. And Korg comes out with the mini log in 2015. And the mini log, if you don't know, is like, it brought back synthesizers. <laughs> because before, all anybody had was like, sorry, it brought back analog synthesizers. Um, in the 80s, late 80s, through the, early 2000s everyone pretty much stopped making analog because it's too expensive and it's too unreliable um and everything was like digital but it never sounded as good as the old stuff and like every indie band from the mid 2000s to like 2015 had a micro korg and like i hate them but like the older generation like my brother and his best friend brian like they're all about the micro korg stuff um but they come out with the mini log and it's the first like accessible analog synth yeah. that anyone could buy and it sounds great and it's reliable first one and it brought back synths and i begged my mom i like sat my mom down i was like 19 maybe i was 18 so i was probably 19 i sat her down i showed her the video of uh, i think it's tatsuya takahashi the designer for korg at the time because he designed the mini log uh showing off the mini log i was like look at this like i'm begging you get me this for christmas because like i'm like i'm this is my future and she did and uh it was awesome and it taught me a lot um and uh it was limiting but it got me like down the rabbit hole of like yeah. learning everything uh MIDI, if like, unless someone sits you down and tells you, MIDI is very hard to learn by yourself. Just like <laughs> trial and error. Like it doesn't make sense. Uh, so if anyone has questions about MIDI, ask me and I would love to tell you. Um, that turns, I go from the mini log, I get like an FM synth because I saw a YouTube video, but it was like the big as this couch and like heavy as my car and it didn't sound very good. And I took it over to my brother's friend's house one time and he was like, you paid how much for this? This thing's a piece of shit. And uh, sold that. I don't know how I did the grace of God. Somebody <laughs> bought that off of me. Um, I ended up bouncing between so many synths. I got my first dream synth. Okay. My first, you got to have dream instruments. It's called the Yamaha AN1X, uh, and it is a virtual analog synthesizer made by Yamaha, and, like, it, it's one of those, if you know, you knows, supposedly Aphex Twin used it, or not Aphex, supposedly Boards of Canada used it, supposedly guys from Sequential went to work at Yamaha and, and based it off the Profit 5, blah, 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 blah sell that i wish i still had it um <laughs> god what did i get next i got all these like little random things little random things and then the next big thing i got was the um 
sequential prophet rev too because like at this point i've discovered yellow magic orchestra and reichi sakamoto is starting to take hold on me and uh it's a really good like if you need like a no frills like awesome analog synth and you don't care about it sounding a certain way like that's the one to get um and the first album a lot of it is on that some of it's on the ao1x uh which like i know it only came out two years ago but uh it had a similar but much less organized um period of working on it as this one it was like two to three years of work that i kind of just scrambled together whereas this is like very intentional this current album yeah. uh but i have that profit i'm like oh yeah i finally have a profit i post a picture of me playing it next to a picture of Richie sakamoto playing a profit five <laughs> and uh sell it <laughs> and i get a uh, jupiter x because i love rolling synths uh like the juno 106 is like the everybody wants a juno 106 and um it's like digital but it's like pretty much like unless you're like insane you won't notice the difference between it and like the analog stuff but it lacks the immediacy of an analog synth so i'm like okay i'm gonna get rid of this because like i don't feel that immediacy it's very much like a sit there and tweak in a bunch of sub menus with really bad physical ui <laughs> so i'm like this is it this is the last analog synth major analog synth i'm gonna get it's on the jupiter i get the sequential profit six because at this point i've fully obsessed with waimo fully obsessed with richie sakamoto david sylvian i think the profit five is the greatest synth ever made and i'm like this is as close they're never making they've said they're never remaking the profit five this is the sequel this is as good as it's gonna get i buy it seven days later not even like five days later sequential announces they're remaking the profit five <laughs> after 40 years of saying hell no it's never gonna happen dave smith's like ah yeah i'm gonna do it i'm, I'm getting old and, uh, and then he died and, and he died yeah <laughs> he gave us that was literally his like last gift to the world is, is <laughs> making a better profit five so i call up sequential because at this point i'm working um for a gear company and i have like an inside track to them <laughs> And I call them and I'm like, guys, this, this sounds crazy. I know, but like, would it be insane if like I sent back to profit six and got a profit five? Cause like I wanted a profit five. It's just, I wasn't going to spend 5,000 to $10,000 to have a working one from 1974. Well, this is a brand new one. They've redone all the internals. It's like reliable now. And they're like, Yeah send it back we'll <laughs> refund you and we'll charge you for the profit five and i'm like holy shit that couldn't like if it had happened a month later i would never have a profit five yeah. so i finally get the profit five and it's the best synth ever made it just is it's my favorite synth and i don't regret it at all and i've had it longer than any other electronic instrument and 99 maybe like 95 percent of the sounds on the album are profit five yeah some are a couple other synths, some are digital, but like it's like mostly like one synth to an album. And um, the other half of your question was where do I get the rest of my sound besides the instruments is I work for a guitar pedal company. And so that dove me into the world of hardware effects, but I like really specific things. And another half of the sound of the album is comes from the um, 
Chase Bliss Blooper, yeah. which is like a super creative looper. I think it's the best pedal ever made. And um, literally like probably half the album has loops from the blooper because uh, it like got me into the concept of tape loops. And the sound's amazing and the utility is amazing. So between um, using the, the blooper for, for texture and uh, uh, I don't even know how you would put it. It like generates ideas or it like it like it's almost like a musical partner, like a songwriting partner. Yeah. Uh, so my two points of sound come from like my use of like hardware effects and loopers and uh, my instrument of choice. Yeah. If that didn't prove that you are totally, yeah. totally synth guy and not drum guy anymore, it's yeah. just like, yeah. <laughs> so that was like the the short version. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Chase loves synths. It's great. Um, <laughs> is there, uh, I guess, what is something on the album that is a tiny minute detail that probably no one's going to hear, but you're like super proud of that is in there. So, um, I think the best sonic moment that may ever come for me as a human being, um, there's a song called Minolta and it's one of the concept tracks on the album called a commercial. And it's like, um, there's seven tracks that would be like so-and-so CM. It's like a morning news CM, something CM, something, but Minolta. And uh, it's named after a Japanese camera company. And it's like a minute and a half long. And by the way, uh, no, no, I'll get it. <laughs> Should I explain now what the commercials are? Because it's like an integral part of the album. Sure. Okay. <laughs> so the best part about this album are these these commercials. They're 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 interludes, but there's so much more than that. They're concept tracks, and they use the the loops from the blooper to create these like sonic backdrops. And I wrote um, these scripts, these like poetic scripts, and I had two of my best friends um, that I met in college translate the scripts and voice act on most of them. I voice act one of them. Um, and, uh, so it's like these like vignettes, these stories, because these commercials are from the actual commercials I'm referencing. It's not like I'm like writing based off of them, but based off the concept and the idea, you watch these commercial compilations and they're these insane worlds that you just like have no idea what you're looking at. And so my idea was I would take these seven tracks and have them speak in Japanese, tell these tales, these short stories. I mean, Nolta is, um, the most personal one. It is about, um... How do I put it? It's kind of a, um, it's a little bit of a defeated love letter. I'll put it like that. And you can read into the lyrics once it's out uh, the way you want to. But towards the end, um, it starts with one loop and a second loop comes in halfway through. And towards the end, it's just the one loop. And it's playing through um, a pedal called the Chase Bliss Thermae. And it's a pitch shifting delay. So it like... Um, I won't get into details, but it goes, you can say which pitch um, intervals to go to, like a perfect fifth, fourth, yeah. an octave, et cetera. And I have it going in such a way that the sample on the delay, the sample rate's getting stretched and it's bit crushing. And so there's this, uh, and then I added a little bit more extra bit crushing, but it was there to begin with. So there's just like this, like, 
heart-tugging melody that's being generated from the melody that I'm already playing into the pitch delay that's like creating like a counter melody and an arrangement and like this bit crushing just like makes like your heart just like beat I don't know it's like just that the way all of it comes together with the notes and the texture at the end of Minolta and that's like a lot of words for a song that's a minute and a half long but like trust me like pay attention at the end of Minolta it just sounds so haunting and bittersweet and it matches the uh, lyrics flawlessly yeah uh i love that feeling that like once you like play back what you did and you're like what have i done you're like oh my god that's (laughs) perfect how did that come out so perfect yeah and the funny thing is um i kind of worked backwards with these tracks i didn't i didn't write the scripts and then write music to them. I wrote the songs first and and they were like, I had them like perfectly laid out. And then I wrote scripts to the music and somehow it just like came together. It's like film scoring, but backwards. I don't yeah, know how else yeah. to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, getting into the deep questions uh, 10 minutes later than I normally would. Uh, no, no. I mean, because... I wanted to keep asking about music. Uh, what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Uh, I wish it was bigger, but it's pretty big. Um, I am, I would not call myself a devout Christian, but I am a proud Christian. Um, I get very sad at the state of America and how especially in Oklahoma and the Deep South, uh, the way um, evangelists, Southern Baptists, um, oh God, one of my friends called prosperity church type people, uh, act uh, towards their fellow people, uh, minorities, um, people in the LGBT community, poor people, people who disagree with them. They just like treat them like just dog water and, and do everything they can to make their lives worse. And like, that's like, just not what Christianity or any religion is really about. Um, and so I get sad on a lot of that. So, um, religion's a pretty big driving factor and just, um, trying to keep inner peace and, and keep a, um, proper, um, moral operation and attitude in everyday life uh even if i'm wrong and and i don't know that i'm right you can't know but even if i'm wrong and 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 none of it is real none of it means anything and we really are as um a sad pathetic like doomer poster on twitter would say just like farts on a rock in space all this could end at any point. I don't see the point in being terrible or mean or evil. Like, I just don't see the point. Like, even if it means nothing, like I would be satisfied knowing that I went out trying to make things better for somebody. Um, you don't have to be religious either. I know that's a big criticism people have of Christianity specifically. You don't have to be religious to have morals or be a good person. It's just uh, my personal spirituality revolves around being good i guess yeah and i wish i was better i wish i did better like anyone should whether they're religious or not yeah um what forms of religion spirituality did you grow up with yeah my mom's like a non-denominational christian uh 
and she's very like old school fire and brimstone standing under a hot tent in the 1800s kind of Christian. And uh, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but we do on most things. And um, she raised me and my brother in a household where she insisted and, and um, gosh, what's a word between insisted and exaggerated? She like made it an important note that we have free will. Again, whether you're religious or not, we have free will, people. And so, like, she's like, you don't have to believe any of this, but this is what I think is right. And I think that um, being taught that, that, like, I don't have to go to Sunday school or a Catholic school and and, and, and have my uh, life miserable. Like, I didn't have to have any of that. And so it made me be able to come to God and adulthood um, on my own if that makes sense. Like it was always there, but it was never forced. And I think that's like really important. I think that's an important way to raise your kids in general. No matter what you believe in, um, show them that something's there no matter what it is, but don't force it upon them. Mm -hmm. This is a question I always ask Christians is when did your faith become your own? And was it a moment or was it gradual I feel like there are probably a few moments where that is the case um and I'll go with most recently I've been really struggling and uh hopefully my mom will never listen to this but um (laughs) I will make sure not to send it to her uh I've been struggling with a failure to see eye to eye with her the past couple years. Um, she uh, kind of got into Trumpism a little and she was like never political before. She's really weird. Just saying really weird things uh, about Trump being like a, an appointed one and, and just really fallen for like a lot of like uh, YouTubers, you know, like YouTube grifty stuff. And like, I just, um, she like told me like a couple years ago, like, I just want you to know the prophets are saying the world is going to end. And I'm just like, she'd never said anything like that to me. And my mom had been my rock my whole life because my parents divorced and I was with her and she'd always been like the, the guiding force of stability in my life. So like hearing that from her shocked me. And uh, I've spent the past couple of years coming to terms with the fact that like, um, we just disagree on a couple things and that's okay. And so I would say the past couple of years are probably the strongest affirmation of like coming into it on my own, experiencing other forms of Christianity uh, other than her way. Um, like I don't like I don't agree 100% with Catholicism, but I go to Catholic church uh, with my girlfriend, Mary. Uh, and it's just like nice to see different walks, different churches, different denominations. Because in the end, like, we all believe in the same thing. Like it's just a bunch of random man-made divisions in the sand. Like the core of it, we all believe the same thing. Uh, even if we're um, petty about it, uh, you know, the whole point is that all Christians are your brothers. And, you know, for that matter, uh, all Jews are my brothers and uh, all Muslims are my brothers. You know, I have a, I have a Muslim therapist and he's awesome. And we talk about spirituality uh, and then we all sort of believe in the same thing in different ways. Yeah. What is your definition of God? What is my definition of God? 
That's a hard question, Santiago. That's a really hard one. You know, you knew what you were in for. I do. <laughs> I did. Um, God is boundless love. And I think people, I think there's a God-shaped hole in everyone's life and people fill it with different things and different things are right for different people. Uh, again, this may make me a bad Christian because I know the whole uh, a big tenant is you're supposed to spread the word and try to convince people. But like, man, if you don't want to believe, that's on you. We have free will. Uh, everyone just needs to treat each other right. And uh, I feel like there's just this hole inside of everyone that feels niche in the say, and it's, it's a God-shaped hole and you fill it with different things. You fill it with God, you fill it with vices, you fill it with passions, uh, pretty much those three things. Uh, yeah, religion, vices, or passions. And, and uh, vice is probably never the right way to fill that hole, but um, whether your passion is uh, being a football coach or uh, doing accounting for a movie director or playing music, um, if that's like the hole you're filling, like that's okay. Uh, for me, I try to fill that hole with God and uh, it's difficult. Like all things are difficult. It's, it's, it's hard to fill that void that is left in you. There's just this like supernatural void that is left in everyone. And uh, it's hard to put like it into words. Um, I feel like I've experienced it doubly so just because like I love my dad to death, but like um, he wasn't the best dad growing up, you know, never been abused. He never did. He loves me with his whole heart, never abused me. However, he like he was more of like a neglectful and present but absent father. And so like I have that sort of hole in my life. Um, And so you can you can manifest boundless love with different things. It could be ecstasy and everyone is seeking out that love in some way or another. Cool. What is free will? Free will. Um, if I wanted to take your guitar and smash it on my old drum set, I could do that, but I won't. <laughs> That's free will. Uh, you, you just, you just simply, whether it was bestowed upon us, whether we evolved from um, tadpoles, it's not true. Uh, we evolved from uh, something not related to a frog. Uh, whatever it is, we have the choice to do anything. And that's what makes humans powerful and special. We're not like fully bound by like these like animalistic drives to, to do one thing and one thing only like many animals are. And I saw somebody on Twitter talking about fucking dolphins and octopuses have the uh, same thinking capacity as humans. They may have really advanced brains, but until an octopus like draws a manga, like I don't want to hear it. Like <laughs> we really are just like a unique species. And uh, man, I hear so many people talk about how uh, pointless everything is. And, and again, if we are just monkeys on a rock, does that take away the accomplishment and passion of every man that has lived around before and after you? Uh, man, woman, non-binary, everyone, like, 
we are a beautiful species no matter what. And I think it's just weird to, to try and discount that. I feel like I was going somewhere with that, but I got lost. Uh, no, I feel like free will. Yeah, no, we have free will. Made. We have free will to do anything, and it's beautiful. And don't discount it. No matter, no matter what you believe, on a larger plane than just your everyday eight to five, we have free will, and it's beautiful. You can go quit your fucking eight to five. <laughs> what do you think happens when we die? Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do I hope happens is that there is an afterlife and um, that entrance to that afterlife is merciful. And uh, you know what's a good, like probably like the best argument against um, the Christian afterlife, the the Western kind of, I wouldn't call it Christianity, Western, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. The Good Place. Have you ever watched that show? Yeah. It's yeah, awesome. That's like the best, like, peaceful kind argument against christianity i think i've ever seen uh the idea of everyone getting bored and um even after life existed i'm pretty sure like we wouldn't get bored like i don't think we'd have like the capacity to but if we did then like i'm pretty sure that we could also just cease to exist if we really wanted a big man hey g mr god man i think i'm uh, i think i've had enough of this he'd be like okay um but like what I hope is that there is an afterlife. It is merciful to most people and and, and merciful to the temperaments because no one is perfect. That's the whole point. Um, but I don't know that for sure. And and no one does know one way or another. I just hope it's not. I've had a lot of like scary dreams, man, like where I'm like on an island with friends or family and I just like see a flash of light and I feel the heat and the blast and then like blackness. I had had that nightmare once. It was the worst dream I've ever had in my life because I actually felt nothing. It wasn't like feeling empty or being nothing. It was like over. I've never experienced anything like it. And I hope that's not it. A lot of people say that's peaceful because it's not like you think about it, but I'm thinking about it now, but I wouldn't think about it after I die if there's nothing. And I just hope that's not the case. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't be thinking. I wouldn't be thinking. So it is what it is. Yeah. How do you determine what good behavior is? Um, I feel like as a society, people kind of come to agree on what good behavior is. There are things that are probably um, nat nature, intrinsic to what is bad behavior, like killing another person pretty universal that's not okay um some people then stretch to when it is okay like if you're like um i don't know um what is his name <laughs> i have a point to make here but i'm adhding out one moment genghis khan if you're genghis khan or uh, if you're george bush uh you stretch on when it's okay to kill people but i would think that um societally you kind of agree that there are some things that are universally wrong and then there are some societies who think that certain things are okay and some societies disagree with that. But I think it's more of a, um, it's nature and nurture. It's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do we reduce the division between people? <sighs> um, horrific violent communist revolution but that didn't work out for russia in the long term either so like i don't know 
<laughs> I don't know if it is possible. Here's the thing. I've had so many people who, if I were to talk to them online about a topic, they would scream at me. They would call me a snowflake. They would call me this and that every word under the sun. But if you take that same person and you talk to them face to face, totally different. They'd be like, oh, I can see your side of it both ways. I think that um, uh, the invention of the cell phone and the internet has... Um, English is already a pretty bad language in expressing yourself. It's like one of the worst languages on earth. It's kind of messed up. It's like one of the most prominent. Um, language in general, it's impossible to convey to someone else how you were feeling. How you truly feel is impossible. Words aren't enough. So when you reduce words to text messages and you reduce text messages to acronyms and jokes and memes, it becomes impossible to um, see the forest for the trees. And, and truly communicate. But when you talk to anyone face to face, I promise you one on one, and they're not being hyped up in a mob, um, you will come to some sort of compromise and real discussion with anyone. Yeah. Unless they're just like an insane bigot. And in that case, fuck them. <laughs> Have sex with them right there. So. Uh, <laughs> Do you believe humans are evil by nature? Man, that's an interesting question because. Um, there's both like philosophical and spiritual thought to that. Uh, I have to plug my favorite movie and I named one of the tracks. It's not my, it's not my favorite movie. It might be. I've watched it once and it was like awesome. Okay. It's called Cure by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. And it's like the psychological thriller. Um, and there's like a bunch of serial killings happening, but it's different people committing them with the same MO and um, it's like goes down this like rabbit hole where someone's hypnotizing them. And, um, so then the question in the film becomes, is he really hypnotizing them? Like, are they just 100% under a spell or do they by nature have the capability of committing graphic violent murder if they're, um, pushed to the right point? And, uh, Man, it's a it's a hard. I've 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 read and thought about this sort of thing so much because like, if if you think about humans as animals, um, there's like a quote from my favorite novel, Blood Meridian, and it's something like, um, "War is the greatest practice." This is not a verbatim quote. This is like a kind of communicating what he's saying. But war is the greatest practice, and man is its greatest practitioner, mm. um, because like all animals are capable of war and violence, but humans are like, we were made for it. <laughs> like the fact that we can use tools alone makes us just like made for the ability to tear each other apart, tear everything apart. Um, and that's if you think about by, by nature. And if you think of us, um, as like spiritual beings and creations of, of, of God, you know, the whole garden of Eden thing, we corrupted ourselves. And like, I suppose you could say in corrupting ourselves in the garden of Eden, we've exposed ourselves to the cosmic entity of evil. And we are by nature, um, evil and capable of doing such things and have to come back to not being evil. Uh, that also sounds like twin peaks, honestly, <laughs> but I don't, I, I want to believe that humans are not, I think, uh, I think I would say humans are, are, are naturally gray and there's, um, there's beauty in both the dark and light.
what do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? Oh, um, either we're all going to be a pile of ash next November or, um, we talk about this late stage capitalism thing, but, uh, I've, I've started beginning thinking maybe we're not in late stage capitalism. Maybe this really is how it will be forever. How different is a corporation from a king? <laughs> the only thing that changes is quality of life for everyone. But like in the end, like no matter what, the few will always control the many. And I don't see an alternative to that. Um, man, it would take what it would take is the circumstances that would come from global thermonuclear war where everything is completely thrown off balance. There is no power structure anymore. But in that case, like we'll all be dead anyway, like 90% of people will just be dead. So those are two paths. I don't know. Then the libertarians win. Yeah. Then they win. That'd be, they'll just be playing fallout. No, but, uh, I feel like that is less likely. I feel like, um, as, as senile as Putin and, and Biden are like, what's the point of ending it all and and people i assume and hope would stop them before they could do such things uh i really think that uh the grim reality is um everything is gray and bleak and it just will be and we want to escape our nine to fives by inventing doomsday scenarios uh, that we think will happen in our lifetime because we are special, because we are people and everything centers around us. Uh, we are going to be the ones to survive the apocalypse. Uh, everything's supposed to end eventually, whether it's the heat death of the universe or, um, you know, the Christian apocalypse. <laughs> I just think that it's impossible to tell such things or guess such things. And uh, you're just hurting yourself trying to figure it out. Sure. What makes you optimistic for your future? Me or humanity? I did say your future. Um, what makes me optimistic is that um, I'm only getting better every day. Um, I'm not even in my quote prime. I feel like you hit your prime as an artist around 27 to 29. That's when you start and uh, my improvements I've made between 22 and 25 are like alarming. So like I can't imagine where I'm going to be in another two to three years. And I think that this album, no matter how financially successful it is, I think that it has enough gas to find its way around by word of mouth. And I hope it does. And I don't expect it to, but like I know it has the, it has the capability of being loved. Um, I just have to use my experience from this and my growing ability to do more, make more music, work on more projects. I want to score games. I want to score short films. I just want to work with people. I want to put myself out there. And I feel like this is going to be my springboard. Advertising films will get me off the ground because it just uh, speaks so much louder than my previous output. Amazing. <laughs> what makes you content? content mm. um that i wouldn't say i was content until now and i feel like the way i just described feeling so strongly about advertising films is because like 
my first album, Portrait and Circuit, was proving to myself that I could make an album. And advertising films is me making something that I dreamed of making my whole life, which is an artistic expression, a statement, something that means something. And so like, I finally did it. I made a crazy, weird, long concept statement. And whether anyone listens, like, whatever. Uh, you know what has made me content? I said that if I got even one Japanese fan out of this, because, you know, the whole album revolves around this Japanese stuff. I was like, if I get one person in Japan liking this, boom, that's it. And you know what happened? In the pre-sale phase, I had three Japanese people buy the album, and uh, one of them talked to me, said it, he had never, or sorry, not never, he hadn't been this excited for an album in a very long time. That blew me away. And then last Friday, I think, uh, I post, I'd posted something the night before and I get this, um, I guess notification Kafka.ayn liked my post. I'm like, Kafuka, that sounds Japanese. What is this? And I click on their profile and I go into shock because the last post they made, not their story. The last post they made was a screenshot from my band camp of lyrics I had wrote and the Japanese lyrics. They liked it so much that they decided to post it to their page. And uh, the feeling of someone across the entire planet, literally other side of the world, liking something you made so much that they posted it. It's one thing. Everybody can screenshot a Spotify playthrough and post it to their story, and it's limited. It's another thing for someone to post the words that you wrote and and post that verbatim to their permanent page. That truly shocked me and blew me away and it was like this like japanese hype beast girl like she like works at like a fashion store that just blew my mind and so i'm like holy cow the album's not even out yet and he's like i already have three japanese people found the album and like it and they tell me they're excited and so that i'm content yeah i'm scared though uh man the album comes out in two days from this recording and it's like waiting for Christmas. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what what's the gift gonna be. What what's gonna happen? What's the reception? I'm scared to death, dude, but I'm so excited. I'm like ready for it to be over. But I'm content because of those things. Yeah. When will you be satisfied? Yeah, though that's a question. Content and satisfied. Um Jeez. Hopefully never. I feel like uh, if you're satisfied, it's a good thing. It means that you've made it in some way or another. But for me, I, this is something I fight with. I have the burning desire to be somebody that people know that some that people remember that made something important that did something important like I want to be the best and I don't think I have the capability but I have the desire I certainly don't have the work ethic <laughs> and I work most days on music I just I don't have that kind of work ethic where you're talking about sacrificing job stability relationship stability family stability for that kind of impact but I have the desire and I think having the desire keeps me unsatisfied, which keeps me creating. But if you are content, 
but not satisfied, I think it's a healthy balance because you're still hungry for more, but you're not hard on yourself anymore. Yeah. I really like that. <laughs> what advice do you have for people in general? Um, man, I'm the wrong person to be giving advice to anyone, honestly, but, uh, I've got some, can I pull something up on yeah, my phone sure. and read it? <laughs> um, it's the, the last, the next to last track on my album on advertising films is called Becky and it means addendum in Japanese. And, uh, I give a little speech and I think this speech is my advice to everyone, if that makes sense. At the end of the, there's more words, but this is the end. As these days get darker and nights get longer, please be kind to your neighbors. Pick up those that spit in your face and ask for help whenever you need it. Be proud of yourself, whoever that is. And that's my advice to everyone. Sweet. Lastly, potentially most importantly, cake or pie? Oh, man. I've never been asked that. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'm going to say pie because pie can be savory and I don't think cake can, but also I don't even like cake. When it's time for my birthday, I want a cookie cake and it's just a cookie. I don't want a cake cake. Um, but bro, you can get a chicken pot pie. You can get an apple pie, pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. It's pie for sure. What's your answer? Uh, I'm a pie person. Okay. Yeah, we yeah. see eye to eye. Maybe not for the same reasons, but we see eye to eye. <laughs> Um, what is the like ideal pie that like comes to mind? Um, it depends on the mood, man. I would say for sweets, which is more often than not when eating a pie, a uh, pumpkin pie with cool whip after Thanksgiving dinner and like, you're like busting at the seams. Yeah. That's the ideal pie. But, but the stomach opens up <laughs> yeah, the additional the compartment stomach. for pie. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, Chase, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you for having me again. Uh, there are so many like more like arguments and like paths to go down in, in these things. And uh, yeah, I really want to go down that with you at some point eventually. But for now, uh, plug your stuff. Where can people find you and your things? Well, first I want to say to you, the next time I will be on to discuss those things will be shorter than like two years. Don't worry. Uh, but you can find me uh, on Instagram at Generation Lossless. That's my main profile uh, for my artistry on Twitter. I'm at Gen Lossless. So G-E-N-L-O-S-S-L-E-S-S. -S 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 -S. And um, my band camp, just search up Generation Lossless. And that's where my music is. That is for release will be. You can find it on Spotify and all the streaming services. And uh, yeah, man, just hit me up on Instagram. If you ever want me to do music or produce for you, please. I want to work with people. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, seriously, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Generation Lossless. What song will play at the end of this? I'm going to go with Mistletoe and Guadalcanal because it's like, it sounds like a film score.
You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album. So if you'd like to hear that at some point, there are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It would mean a lot to me to hear what you have to say, and it lets others know what to expect, better than I could ever explain. I want to help the world have deeper conversations, so thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. I was in the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.